Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for tuning in today as we walk through the Bible together. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Well, ladies, today we are looking at the book of Ruth. It is the third book of history in the Christian Bible. So let's go ahead and sing our Old Testament song that will help us to learn the books of the Bible. Mm. Let us sing the books of history, of history, of history. Let us sing the books of history, which tell of the Jews. First Joshua, second Judges, then the story of Ruth. Then first and second Samuel, and first and second Kings. Then first and second Chronicles, which give us the record. Then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther the Queen. Well, verse 1 in Ruth tells us when the story took place, and it was written during the time of the judges. So when the judges ruled, if you remember, that means that that was, quote, the dark ages of Israel, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In yesterday's story of Judges, we saw a civil war. We saw an Israelite town that had become as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. It was bad. But here in this story, we see that not everyone was like that. Not everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here we see righteous people, people who are trying to be obedient to God, even if there may be few of them. The Bible uses the term a remnant, that there is always faithful people. Even now, ladies, there are faithful people, even when it seems that the world is a mess and in darkness. We don't know who wrote this book, but just as Judges shows that it was written when there was a king in Israel, in Ruth, at the end of the book, we see that the last word is David. So we can deduce that this book was written in David's lifetime. Because there is no mention of King Solomon, the next king, David's son, some people think that the prophet Samuel wrote it, but we do not know for sure, and it is not said who wrote it. The story of Ruth is a love story, and it's good news, which is so good after the bad news of the judges. There is no villain in this story, but there still is tragedy that life brings, and we all know a touch of tragedy within our own lives. Well, our story begins with the family from the town of Bethlehem in Judah. Keep in mind that this was where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malnon and Chilion, verse 1 tells us that there was a famine in the land. If you remember back with Jacob and his family, they moved to Egypt because of a severe famine, and that's Moses brought them out of Egypt. We talked about how God uses the events of the world to bring about his plan, such as famine. In verse 2, they are called Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, because the previous name of Bethlehem was Ephrath. And Judah is the tribe in which the land is. Judah was located on the southern edge of Israel on the west or on the left side of the Jordan River. 
Because of the famine, Elimelech's family sojourned to the country of Moab. That is the land that Abraham's nephew Lot took when they separated ways. Moab is located on the east side of the Jordan River, down by the Dead Sea. While in Moab, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She still had her two sons, and they married women of Moab. Their names were Orpah and Ruth. Just a side note, I heard that Oprah was named after Orpah, but they accidentally got the letter switched on her birth certificate. And then the other daughter-in-law here is Ruth. They lived there for about 10 years. Then in verse 5, we see that Naomi's sons both died. Naomi heard that the Lord had visited her land and had now provided them bread. Interesting, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So Naomi gets up to go home. She encourages her daughter-in-laws to go back to their mother's homes to find a husband. And they said no and cried together, but she pleaded. There was no other man in her life that would be able to marry them. And it could mean that these ladies would never get remarried again. Plus, they were Moabites and they're going back to the land of Israel. So these ladies had greater hope of marrying and fulfilling their lives if they stayed in their own land. They cried out again and this time Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and went back to her home. But verse 14 says that Ruth held on to her. Then we have Ruth's response. And verse 16 is the key verse of this whole book. And I'm going to read it in the King James Version because it's so poetic. These are a couple of verses that you're probably very familiar with because they're used in weddings. And it cracks me up because originally it's not a husband and wife that these words of commitment are made. It's to a mother and a daughter-in-law. But Ruth says, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. Ruth's God was the God of Naomi, the God of Israel. This is a declaration of her faith. Naomi realized there was no changing of her mind, so the women moved back to Bethlehem. Verse 19 says, All the city was moved when they saw her. In other words, she was the talk of the town. Naomi told the townspeople, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. But call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt harshly with me. I left full and I have come back empty. However, ladies, that wasn't a true statement. She wasn't empty. She wasn't alone. She had Ruth. And the last verse of chapter one gives us another glimmer of hope. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, we see another glimmer of hope. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. 
We first learned about a kinsman redeemer in Leviticus chapter 25. This was a way that number one, the land of the tribe would stay within that tribe. And number two, a way for a woman to be taken care of. What cracks me up about this writer is that in verse 3 he says, And Ruth just happened to go and glean from the fields that belonged to Boaz. I personally call that a God thing. God's hands again. He's in the midst of all of this. He's in the midst of the famine. He's in the midst of the barley season. He's in the midst of Ruth finding Boaz's field. One thing Dr. Betts said in Old Testament class What is God's will for my life? Being obedient to where we are and having a desire to be faithful to God's word. And he will direct us. That's what we see here. We see a woman who's being obedient. We see a woman who is trying to be faithful to God and his word. And he is directing her in the midst of all of this. God directed Ruth to Boaz's field. One of the things with the book of Ruth is that we learn a lot about Jewish customs. If you remember, we talked about how Moses gave God's direction to the children of Israel, that when they plant a field, they are not to harvest all of it, but they are to leave some for the poor and the sojourner. God cares about the poor and the sojourner. Also, many times that God said to the Israelites that they were to care for the sojourner because they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Boaz was doing that. So Ruth went to work. She asked permission to glean, to take that extra from the field, and she worked hard. Boaz noticed her and asked about her. They explained she was the Moabite that came back with Naomi, and she had asked to glean there. And she worked hard all day long. Boaz then went and spoke to Ruth. He said, don't glean anywhere else. Stay where my maids are. I've told the young men not to touch you or harm you. And when you're thirsty, go drink from the vessels that I have. Ruth bowed down, asked, why have you noticed me? I'm a stranger. And Boaz said, I have heard of your faithfulness and how you have come to the Lord God of Israel and Under his wings, you have come to trust. Ruth had the reputation of a godly woman. Then Boaz gave instruction that his workers were to purposefully leave some more crop so that Ruth could gather it. In the evening, they take the wheat and then they beat it out at the threshing floor. And then they throw it up in the air and the wind blows away the chaff, the stuff that's not good, and the seeds, which are heavier, fall back to the ground. At the end, she took it home to Naomi and when she saw all that she had brought home, the word that Naomi used was blessed. When Naomi heard where she had gone to work, she realized that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. Verse 23 shows us that Ruth worked hard to the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. Then Naomi gave Ruth directions on the Jewish custom of how to approach Boaz to become the kinsman redeemer. Ruth was instructed to wash herself and to dress up and to go to the threshing floor. And when he's asleep, to go uncover his feet and lay down. And then he will tell you what to do. 
So at midnight he woke up and asked, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread therefore your skirt over me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. What that means is, cover me with your blanket, because you are a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz said, Bless the Lord for you. <laughs> and Boaz said, Bless the Lord, for you have shown kindness to me. Hesed. Fear not. I'll take care of it. But there is one that's closer in position. Then when morning came, he sent her to Naomi with a handful of barley and said, I'm going to take care of this today. In chapter four, Boaz goes to the city gate where business matters get taken care of. He called the other kinsman redeemer to come. Boaz made sure they were witnesses to this transaction. Boaz made it known that whoever buys the land will also have to take in Ruth. The other man said if he did that, it would drastically affect his own life and his own family situation, so he declined. In verse 7, we see from the writer that the Israelites no longer do it this way. This also is another clue in the writings that this was written at a later time. Boaz then takes off his shoe, announces that all are witnesses that he has purchased all that was Elimelech's and his sons and of the hand of Naomi and Ruth the Moabite, whom I have purchased to be my wife. By the way, this way of transaction was instructed in Deuteronomy chapter 25. In that passage, after taking off the shoe, he was supposed to spit in the face of the other guy. That's not mentioned here, by the way. The people and the elders declared that they are witnesses, and then they give a blessing. The Lord make the women that come from your house, like Rachel and Leah, which are Jacob's two wives, which the two built the house of Israel, and do worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let your house be like Perez, whom Tamar bore unto Judah, and of the seed which the Lord shall be given thee of this young woman. Again, we see a blessing through the seed of a woman. This refers back to the promise that God gave the serpent back in Genesis 3.15, that there will be a seed from a woman who's going to crush his head. And if you remember, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Her husband died and Judah gave the second son to her, as was Jewish custom. He also died. Well, she was supposed to wait for the third son. That's what Judah told her to do. But when he was of age, Judah did not give him to her. So she dressed up as a prostitute, had sex with Judah, and that is how Perez was born. At first, Judah was going to kill her for her unfaithfulness. And then when he realized that he was the father, Judah had said that Tamar was more righteous than he was. At the end of the book of Ruth, we find that the blessing of the people came true. Boaz and Ruth bore a son. The women blessed Naomi and pronounced that this kinsman redeemer is a restorer of her life, a nourisher of her old age. For your daughter-in-law loved you, and she was better to you than seven sons. The son's name was Obed, and it means servant. We learn that Obed was the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. This lineage is similar to the lineage that we find in the book of Matthew chapter 1. It just continues after David to Solomon. 
And then it goes all the way to Jesus, who also was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. This Jesus is also the restorer of life and the nourisher of our old age. When we look at this lineage, we do not see pure breeds of Israelites, but what we do see are people of faith from various nations. Just as a reminder, the people were not to intermarry because of mixing of religions, but God was always willing to bring in people from other nations if they were willing to follow God and his ways. Rahab, who was a prostitute from Jericho and a Canaanite, she became a woman of faith. And so was Ruth the Moabite. Both of these women were through the line of Jesus. Another thing that Dr. Betts said was, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you to be true in the light. Maybe you are in the time of darkness, of bitterness, of Mara. But remember, if God is on your side, he has a plan, even though he may be quiet right now. When we don't see God's plan, we can trust his heart. There is another theme that runs throughout this book. The Hebrew word is hased. It is translated in various ways. Mercy, loving kindness, kindness, love, loyalty, and even more. We see that word throughout this book. First, we see hased with Ruth as she professes her faith and her commitment to Naomi and especially to Naomi's God. And because of Hased, she is noticed by Boaz. Boaz is said to have Hased because of how he dealt with Naomi and Ruth. We see God's loving kindness in the midst of this story as Ruth is covered by Boaz at the threshing floor. If you remember, the word atonement means to be covered. And then as she is redeemed, she is bought back into the fold. Ladies, wherever you are in your journey with God, know that he loves the sojourner. He loves the outcast, and he is always willing to bring you in. His arms are wide open. We just have to come to him just as we are, and he covers us, atonement, and he redeems us, brings us back. And he does this because the Lord Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. If you are a Christian, and maybe you're in a time like Naomi, where you feel Mara, you feel bitterness, let us cling to the promises of God and trust that there will be a better day. Ladies, you are loved, said, and that love is connected to faithfulness, to commitment. So today, ladies, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Ladies, let's not be bitter. Instead, let's be women who trust in God's promises, trust in his faithfulness, and let us be women of hope of what God is doing, even if we cannot see it right now. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.